Hello, and welcome to the RPG PodQuest. It's a show that's not just about RPGs, but it is also is... <laughs> We're going to redo that. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we are live in three, two, one. Welcome to the RPG PodQuest, a show that's not only about RPGs, but also is an RPG. This voice might not sound familiar to you, but I am Evan, and uh, with me I have my usual co-host, Nick. How you doing, Nick? Good, Evan. Yourself, mate? I am doing rather well. And now should we throw over to Jeremy? All right, and Jeremy, how are you doing? Ah, well... Should have should have figured he would uh, he would get cold feet and decide to to leave on us. No, unfortunately, Jeremy can't make it uh, this week. Just some technical difficulties. Hopefully, he'll be back next week uh, to talk about his quest. And I guess that means we're going to get a little bit of a head start on him this week. Yes, too, he, he has is... to be penalized for it, right? So, oh maybe, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, so this is going to be a bit of a different uh, episode from the norm that we've established for the the past two. Maybe a little bit shorter, maybe not, who knows. But we're going to start things off, as we always do, talking about some news, some new games. Nick, I think you've got something that you wanted to mention. Yeah, so uh, thinking back two weeks, the the first episode I was on, um, I talked about Fantasy Life Online, the mobile game, and clearly did not love it. Um, thankfully, well, no, I don't mean that. That's a bit mean. It's being shut down in Japan. So two weeks after they've announced a closed beta outside of Japan, it is now being shut down in Japan. So take that as you will. That's, that's about all I have to say on that topic. Yeah. So being shut down, I wonder if that means they're just not even going to give it a shot in other countries. I did. I had a quick read and it, it looked like an, I'll, probably butcher this but it looked like almost the publisher outside of japan was different to japan so whether another company's picked it up or something uh, yeah um take that with a grain of salt listeners but there's obviously there's something odd going on there yeah well i mean i would say something odd is going on there but this is also level five who really in the past i would say five years rather uh fittingly, has kind of had a fall from grace. Their releases have really slowed. I mean, this is the company that pretty much made Yokai Watch a huge thing in Japan and then tried bringing it over to the United States and it more or less flopped despite yeah. getting three, I mean, not even three, four. I think there was a Buster's title on... Uh, they they the started having three versions all come out Pokemon style, but I... I, I guess not being in depth enough, I had no idea about the differences. It almost just seemed like a, a it's probably monster based, but that's about it. There was also like an ARPG 
spinoff too that released um, on the 3ds and then i i mean i'll say it uh, truthfully when i saw footage of yokai watch 4 which was a switch exclusive i'm pretty sure i thought the game looked great Uh, yep agreed 100 and uh, we actually on switch rpg uh, one of the staff members imported a copy and was playing it uh, and and just because of you know localization issues or lack of japanese knowledge yeah. she didn't really get all that far into it which i think was a shame but that was supposed to come over to north america and then nothing ever happened you know Layton that that series too which is a level five one has kind of faded into obscurity so to hear that they're shutting down the fantasy life uh mobile game which again i don't know if they're like specifically in charge of it or anything yeah uh, and also, I I think they just released like a giant mecha game too on the Switch, and I don't know how that, um, <laughs> what the sales were like for that. But yeah. I heard that it released, and then I didn't hear anything else about it. So that's maybe not a good sign either. So I don't know that uh, that surprises me, but especially because this this developer was once really known for. For championing RPGs, at least accessible RPGs. Well, I just think they had what a, there was a, a five six year period where, you know, it was the hey, it's rivaling Pokemon in level of you know sales and popularity, especially in Japan. Oh, definitely um, Yokai Watch. Yeah, for sure. and yeah, and well, even around that, and like you said, you know, things like Layton, which were almost bubbling under the surface before Yokai Watch. If I've got my timelines correct, and you know, just doing a, a good pace. You know, people enjoyed those games, that series, and now it's almost a casualty. Um, and I mean, also Nino Kuni. Nino yep. Kuni one and two were both uh, developed by Level Five, and it's kind of. I mean, I don't know. It's, I think it's surprising to think of their pedigree a, a little bit. Uh, to me, it makes so much sense that they ended up making Nino Kuni because if you look back at their history, well, you've got Inazuma Eleven, right? The soccer yep. RPG too, which was which was their thing, but they also developed dragon quest nine for square enix which i really think put them on the map in a lot of ways and they had that as a release and then kind of snowballed into Layton and yokai watch and all this other stuff so i don't know maybe they've just felt the the burn of of like diminishing returns and in in terms of like newcomers or consistent sales but that uh, level five is a topic that would be well worth discussing on an episode in general. We could do like a retrospective on them, but uh, I, yeah, this this news surprises me very much, and I, I wonder what this means for the future of Fantasy Life and maybe some of their other projects. Yeah, well, I, I, other... I know you are quite keen for the Nino Kuni mobile game, so I was just having a nosy around to see. It's still just seeing slated Q one Q two twenty twenty two, and I can't find anything else that's. And is that also developed by Level 5 too? Netmarble. So they're the guys yeah. that made... Well, they did um, Diablo Immortal, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that... I want to say, or I'm confusing them with someone else. Further complicates things. Yeah, I wonder I wonder what went on. Because you, you are right. Yokai Watch was almost neck and neck with uh, Pokemon for a while there. But... We'll see, I guess, uh, in terms of... Sorry, I just sorry to jump in. It was NetEase, not NetMarble. Oh, okay. You can, you can see my do confusion. You know, no, do you know uh, 
if or what uh, NetEase has also made? Um, sorry, NetEase was the Diablo Immortal ones. Oh, uh, okay. yeah, yeah. Oh, Net, Net Marble, right. however, what have we got here? Just seeing if there's anything um, of note. Yes, yeah, I would think graduating to Nino Cooney would be quite an exciting thing. And I mean, I think the the game looked visually beautiful. Nothing standing out to me. There's a couple of Marvel games, Lineage Two, Revolution. Mm. Um, nope, nothing, nothing ringing a bell to me. No, Star Wars Force Arena. I think that might have uh, been no. It's, it's a lot of mobile games from the looks of things. Eh, all right. Well, that is too bad to hear. And I believe the Fantasy Life. Uh, we talked about it in that episode, right? That didn't it come out at, in 2018? Yes, in correct. Yep. So three so, year lifespan. Plenty is a of little, time. Yeah. Yeah. It is good, but uh, I want to say has Tregalia lost? I feel like that's been around for at least that long. That, I, that's three years, because I'm pretty sure there was just the third year anniversary, and I'm pretty sure that's shutting down. But surprisingly, because that, as far as I'm concerned, have done well, has done quite well, but that was probably yeah, a global release, so maybe the numbers are lining up um, you know, globally compared to just Japan for fantasy life. Huh. That's news to me, too. I didn't know that... Um... I mean, the, I knew that Dragalia Lost had been around for a while, but I didn't know it was shutting down. Uh, maybe they'll maybe they'll try to make a Dragalia Lost two, right? That would that would fit more into Nintendo's uh, sort of styling of shut down or slow down. I can't recall, but either way, they're they're moving away from Dragalia Lost. Okay, but no, I, I while we're on it, I thoroughly enjoyed Dragalia Lost. I think at the time, colleague and I um, working, we just got really into it um co-op wise it was just good fun and i never really dabbled in mobile phone games before that um other than I, pokemon go but yeah i i played a little pokemon go uh, I, I you know i was really into it when it first came out um i never played dragalia lost but i had a number of friends who really did like it a lot and i know that it's generated a pretty faithful fan base i know there's a lot of people who love the art style I think a, a lot of people who have really kept with the game, too. I, I hear a lot of people talk about the campaign updates and such, but, I, you know, I, I think it's it's just a fascinating topic because it is a original IP from Nintendo. 100%. Exclusively, exclusively for mobile devices. And yeah, you know, I, like, like you said, I, I did enjoy the story, the, the art style. I would have loved to see an anime come out of it. Heck, maybe there was and I missed it, but... Um, you know, and that's, yeah, like I kept on it for a year and a half. So the updates were fast and frequent and always quite substantial, which was nice. Yeah. I mean, if, if they could even think of like establishing IP on a mobile device and then expanding, uh, with it on, on switch or something like that. I mean, I would love to see a fully featured Dragalia lost sort of title for the switch. I think that'd be really neat, but I don't know. The transition of mobile games to consoles is always a topic that's kind of sticky. I know a lot of people have really been holding off on playing like Fantasian, for example, because they're like, well, why don't I just play this RPG on the Switch or on consoles or what have you? But uh, that, again, the the, mm-hmm. the adaptation, yep. sorry, um, of the you know, controls on a mobile device to a, a controller can can sometimes be a little wonky. Hey, uh, uh, I don't know. But that's too bad to hear about Fantasy uh, Life Online, but at least we know now that it does have three years of content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, 
so I guess we'll we'll move into new games, and one of the new games that we both want to talk about is well something that we both share. So I guess I'll start off, and you can you can chime in certainly uh, with your thoughts. Uh, Shin Megami Tensei Five. Man, boy, howdy. I have sunk about, I would say, 15 hours into this game uh, and uh, over this past week. And when I say that, like, every bit of free time that I have had in my life has been dedicated to this game, I absolutely mean it. And I should say that my save file says I've logged in about uh, 15 hours, but that is not uh, the amount of time that I have logged into this game because I have died several times and lost a fair amount of progress so i don't know if that's something that you've experienced nick uh i'll just put it out there it was for the first four hours and then i changed to the safety mode because Uh, i'm not there for the challenge evan i'm just there to enjoy (laughs) the world the story um that'll become very consistent with me over the weeks you'll hear i i don't really play games for a challenge so um i and possibly here i am missing out on something because that is probably part of the, you know, really part of the gameplay loop here with Shin Megami, um, is that uh. challenge. But, <laughs> you know, still dabbling in it, enjoying it. Um, but yeah, go on, I'm keen to hear your thoughts. Obviously, as a big, long-time fan. Well, you know, one of the things that I that I almost felt starting this game off was, as I started playing, I was like, was I better at this back when I got four on the 3ds yep. have i have i am i out of touch am i out of practice what's going on here because i'm getting my ass kicked uh this game really does throw you right into the thick of things and it expects you to hang out around those save points a whole lot 100 because... and the fact that they don't even telegraph where they are most of the time is oh, brutal. yeah yeah i i yeah i I think yeah, I lost early on. I lost about two and a half hours, um, just f- so not not noticing the save points somewhere, um, and just just something happened, and you know it must be maybe one of the first bosses or something, but that's when the game really just decided to turn it up a notch, and I was like, oh okay, and yeah, but but like you, I you know I played Shimagami Four, I, I you know got a fair chunk of that, did not struggle anywhere near as much as I did here, and that's why I was just like, I'm not. I'm not sitting here doing this. <laughs> this it's very very strange because I maybe for base four I might have started out on normal, but I also seem to remember and you know this this might just be a little bit of nostalgia talking because I I do recall by the end of four feeling very comfortable with it, yep. but early on in four being like, wow, this game is really kicking my teeth in. But I do know that I definitely started Apocalypse on hard, and I played through that entire game on hard, and I felt like I was in the rhythm for that game. Yeah. What I will say is, about 15 hours in, I feel like I'm in the rhythm of this game now. Like, and I should also say, I am playing on hard. Jesus. <laughs> so you're a, you're a madman. <laughs> maybe I've been asking for it a little bit. But, uh, you know, I've, I've reached out to a couple of other people on, on social media what, and what have you, and I've heard people say I'm playing on easy or normal or uh, safety, I believe, right, is, is, the, yep. is the term. But I'm, I'm playing on hard, and I feel like I've got a grasp on things now. I am I'm striking back. However, 
Uh, Again, I'm not really sure where you are, but I am right now. I have just defeated uh, Nua, I believe is her name. Uh, Snake, snake demon goddess lady. Uh, And that's 13 hours in. And one thing that I will say about SMT, just on the whole, (laughs) is that I feel like this series, it's really hard to gauge where you think you are in the narrative. I have no idea. Is this the opening act? Have I just reached the end of the opening act? Or am I actually like kind of far into this game? Because I'm at level 22 now. Like that's almost a quarter of the levels that you can get in this game out of the way. So I don't really know. I mean, how much further would you say you are than I am right now? Uh, this thing, I, I've i got absolutely no idea because again, like, you know, I've read a few things online. People are like, oh, I just beat the second boss. I wouldn't have a clue who the second boss is. I, I, right. I would not have the foggiest. I, I'm going through, you know, you, obviously there's there's bosses, but there's story beat bosses. There's zone, it's it's... Yeah, there are side quest bosses too, and uh, and yeah, so it's really up in the air there. Um, I, I will say you've made it past Tokyo Tower, yes? Correct. Yeah, yeah, uh, much further than that. Yeah, like I said, I, I, uh, yeah, I'm playing on safety, so for me, there's no, you know, the battles, the boss battles take a couple of minutes as opposed to 45 minutes as they're taking for you. So. Yeah, I mean, I'd say the prep time that goes into fighting a boss. Yeah, well, yeah, and that's the thing, minutes. and obviously, I doing what i'm doing and uh, mistakenly i'm trying to play this for the story evan spoilers there's not a lot of story there um but (laughs) you know i I, i'm just trying to think where i am um without obviously revealing spoilers have you made it to the tokyo diet building yes yeah done all that well past that um okay so i probably am a bit faster you i'm i'm looking up this the newer you mentioned i'm pretty sure i fought her but then saying yeah, you're on she's, level she's, 22, she's yeah, deck. yeah, I'm well past that because I think I'm currently about level 38. Oh, okay. Um, right. Have you met, I'll just, this won't be a massive spoiler, but have you met the fairies yet? Uh, no. that, uh, yeah, you'd, you'd know <laughs> if you have. Um, okay. All right. So no, I, I've got a rough idea where you are. And yeah, like I am probably three times into the game as you are then, I would assume. And three times this far yes and clocking in at about 14 hours so i think that just shows the differential in well you know that shows the differential in the difficulties and the battle preparation and where all the time is going um Uh, yeah i I guess so yeah so well and so i'm i i am curious to hear like what you feel the experiences or or maybe even the loop because to me the loop has become very clear now yes yes in i'm in the I'm into it. I get what's going on and I get what I'm supposed to be doing in order to uh, tackle each objective. So what does that look like for you? Yeah, a bit the same. I, I, my main gripe with it probably is, and it's it's part of the gameplay loop, you know, I forget the name, but you've got to fight those giant eyeball things that are obscuring the map. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Working out how to get to them is slightly frustrating and aware that's probably part of the gameplay loop. But... Uh... Yeah, I, I just just because I'm finding that I'm playing a lot on handheld, so you really can't zoom into that map, even if it's obfuscated. Yeah. You can't zoom in far enough to actually go. Oh, is that a path there? What's going on? And I get that's part of it. They want you to work out how to get to them, but even when you've unlocked the map, it's still pretty damn difficult to read that map. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. 
Um, there, are, there are a lot of icons, and I, I think you can filter some of them out yeah. in the map settings, which I think is essential <laughs> because yeah. it gets yeah. so dense. But no, I'm like I'm enjoying myself. Re- realistically, I'm I'm just there to explore. I'm you know finding the what are they called? The Min Mins, the Mon Mons, the the uh, little the Koroks. Yeah, the Koroks. That's it. The, <laughs> the the red Koroks. I've I've just been sort of wandering around exploring, finding those guys, and um no, I'm 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 enjoying myself. Um, you know some of the other mechanics, the obviously the monster fusing, I've, I've dabbled in a little bit, but I'm now actually just spending some time. You know, I've got a lot of money racked up. I'm just sort of sitting there going through a lot of the reverse uh, demon fusions, building some of these yeah. um, special demons um, that you can mm-hmm. get, um, which I didn't realize, of course, I could just look at the shadow of the demons I don't own and right. then track yeah. them down and reverse engineer them. <laughs> so I, I've yeah. done that. Um, unfortunately, the first one I got was just a, uh, a, a summon, you know, a, a dark magic caster which I haven't really had a need for dark or light magic at this point. Um, I'm, you know, probably assuming that'll start rolling in later as things get more difficult and realistically they want to up, you know, the the combinations that are are being thrown at you. (laughs) That's wild. Cause I'm like, I'm using, I'm using uh, dark and light magic a lot right now, actually. Um, But so I, I was curious just in terms of like side quests, have you taken on all that many? Um, I've taken a few. I'm not really clear when I'm taking on a side quest or I'm just digressing from the main quest, to be honest. Um, so I, I'm kind of just talking. It's, you know, it's, it's a bit like what you talked about last week. It's, it's not always laying out here are the quests, here's what to do. It's, it's, um, a bit more conversational. It's a bit, you know, there's, there's information, um, which I think has been quite good. I probably am doing side quests because I am talking to pretty much every character I'm interacting with. Um, and there's actually been some really fun ones that have stood out to me. Um, not, you know, not, not throwing spoilers, but essentially you, you get to this one zone and you meet this guy and he's sort of like, Hey, I want to, I want to be the head honcho demon of this area. Um, yeah, go and yeah, kill this other guy. I know uh, this might be another one. You, you might be thinking about the guy in the cave. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's Sorry, another one. I, yeah. I am. I am. And then All this right. other guy, he's like, Oh wait, don't kill me. I want to be the continuing head honcho. So then you actually get the you know, the choice of going back and forth between these two larger demons and, you know, which yep. one do you actually want to slay? Because obviously that will, um, announce, you know, become a, a member of your party. So, I, you know, I think there have been some nice little side quests like that. Not as many as I'd probably like. Maybe I'm missing them. But I, I think when I have encountered them, they've, they've been fun. They've been lighthearted. And that's certainly been a nice juxtaposition to the overall story and themes, um, which, is, so- which has been quite good. So I had to kind of like force myself almost to seek out quests in lieu of just like open-ended exploration yep. because you can get into some really sticky situations if you're just going out of the way to explore a whole lot of stuff. Uh, and I, well, a lot of, of how I play now is very, very safe. I go and try to complete a single side quest and then I will immediately warp back to a ley line and save because that is that is the safest way that I can find myself uh, navigating this world. And th- there is, I-, I will say that exploring this world is very fun. I have enjoyed that very much. And it is not open world, right? But these areas are very large. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, is, it's open zones. Um, yeah. Which is being, yeah. I, I mean... It would. I would say it's. It's actually pretty. 
equal to to me in in scope and scale to like the original Xenoblade in some ways. There's maybe a little bit more verticality in those games, but and and you can also zoom your camera out a little bit more in those games too, which yeah. kind of allows you to appreciate the sense of scale. But there there is a lot of uh, of variety in terrain. I mean, just this first Netherworld area that I've explored had so much weird different stuff going on in it you had deserts you had kind of like mountainside crags you had an abandoned city it's a it's a neat place and i yeah by the end of of this this segment of time i'm ready to move on to a new biome and see some different aesthetics yep but i have enjoyed a lot of of what i've seen and i get that a lot of its systems, of the systems that it's presented might be a bit jarring to people. I think it's it's really Atlas trying to make a very modern sort of experience while still remaining faithful to the uh, the, the sort of traditions of the franchise. And I know I, I can see how some of that stuff might be off-putting. 100%. Um, I mean, it is, you know, the mechanics, the gameplay, the battle style, the monster catching, essentially, it's... It all, I'll say, harkens back to an older time, and I think they they've tried to keep that. They don't want to change too much because that is what Shin Megami Tensei is. Um, yeah, and I think they've done a really good job. You know, they they telegraph a lot of of what you should be doing, how you do it. There is a lot of information there to assist, but it's not shoved down your throat. You know, it's there if you want to understand things better, um, which is the optimal way. Um, you know, there's a probably a couple of quality of life features that they've foregone on purpose that would be found in a lot of modern JRPGs. Um, you know, especially things to do with navigational assistance or quest management, that kind of stuff. But again, like you said, they're, they're keeping the aesthetic. They've clearly gone, Hey, this is, this is a difficult game where we're removing certain things, not just because we can't be bothered because it adds to how you can play it. And you know that, like you said, being cautious, pulling out a quest, going back, saving, you know, regrouping. Hey, what monsters have I got here? Is this the right skill set I need to tackle the upcoming challenge? Um, do, do you find yourself, obviously I'm playing much easier difficulty now, but do you find yourself sort of introducing yourself to a boss, to a, to a tougher enemy and just sort of running away once you've, you know, scanned and worked out what's going on and then going back and regrouping and setting up new monster combinations or demon combinations, that kind of stuff? I mean, I usually, if by run away, you mean I get, uh, <laughs> I get absolutely massacred. By uh, okay. Boss. And then you just go, all right, let's, let's try this again. Yep. Yeah. That, that is usually <laughs> the, the tactic. I mean, the, the thing that they've made very easy about this or the, the addition that they, that they have added is, spyglass as an item is so invaluable and this is something that never existed previously so you kind of had to just like test out your spells on an enemy and in hard mode in this game you don't have that opportunity i'm pretty sure that they expect you to almost immediately be pulling out a spyglass at the beginning of a boss battle and then you know depending on what your team composition is you may or may not be able to meet that challenge the during the first run but yeah this this game to me is a lot of trial and error and it's not it doesn't 
telegraph its challenges very much. You know, I think that's part of the the sort of vibe of the game. Uh, you know, you fight a, a a group of enemies who are all weak to thunder uh, or, or electric magic, and then right after that, you have to fight a boss who is weak to fire magic, and they just expect you to be like, "Well, you've you should have demons ready." <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, why don't you have this combination this? ready to go? What is wrong with you? Um, or, or even why why don't you have demons that ha- that can resist this sort of magic or repel it? Right, and that's. Uh, that is that's pretty brutal but i the the thing is when when i was first starting off with the game they don't give you a lot of demons to play around with so your combinations you can't really you don't get to set up as many sort of combinations that will um that will that have tangible benefits to you yeah but then as you start to get a little bit further into the game, the choices really do open up and you can, I mean, the one thing that I do really like, I, I do like this essence, essence system of being able to change your affinities on the fly. I think that's a really neat system. And I like how it is almost replacing an equipment system in some ways in, in just allowing you to equip yourself and demons with this, the kind of skills that they might need. Yeah. But I, I also think that, save for the essences that you can buy at uh the 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 in-game shop they they don't hand these out very often either and so that does cause me to be a little bit stingy with them yeah well i i found one essence i can't remember who it was for but it essentially had you know two full shields two half shields only one weakness and the rest blank and i've just like i've slapped that on and they were fairly you know fire magic ice i'm like this uh, I'm just going to coast along on this for as long as I need yeah. to, because with a combination like that, it's, you know, 80% of scenarios are covered. And, and like you said, if I lose that, then I, I'm not going to get that essence back easily unless I, um, unless it's available in the store or I track down another, another copy of it. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's so, there's a lot of cool stuff and, you know, again, going back to my first experience with four, I remember maybe my first eight hours of playing that game, I was saying to myself, I was like, this is this is brutal. This is oppressive. And I think that oppressive is the vibe that every SMT game wants you to feel. They want you to feel that everything in this world can and will beat you up yes. if you're not ready for it, um, which I kind of like. Uh, especially since I'm going to be counterbalancing this experience with Pokemon, where you can very quickly and easily become an overleveled. Well, so you, you'll find like yourself a nice little balance there, where you know you'll be able to jump so. back and forth. <laughs> um, obviously, you'll have. Yeah, I suppose now. Oh, you know what? That's in in Shimagami Five. I think the moment they unlock the ability for you to warp back to the safe oh, points, God. I was like, oh, thank you. And, and that, yeah, yeah, that's the thing too, is that until that point, because you don't get that until you beat the first boss yep. who is, I mean, like on hard mode, I was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's, so that's roughly where I was up to when we spoke last week, you know, and I was about five, six hours in yeah, um, and, and, and hadn't unlocked that yet. So that's, that was part of the, you know, obviously I said the story was just starting to unfold. But then I was starting to just struggle a bit with, well, you know, it's, it's a lot of back and forth here. When Yeah, and, and a part of me said, like, if if something doesn't give soon. Yes, yeah. Because, because the, the amount of 
the the distance between things you you need to have that feeling of yes i'm striking out into the unknown but if things get too sticky i can always just you know go back to the safe place yeah which that early part of the game you don't have that certainty with you and that's what makes that almost makes the opening kind of it's rough it's not an easy uh it's it, it's not beginner friendly i don't think yeah and that's what sort of scarred me like that i was just playing on normal and it was just like i said i lost a few hours it was brutal and after yeah. that point i was like i i'm not playing this to do this i'm just playing this to <laughs> you know i i'm enjoying exploring and well i say that but have you gotten up to the uh the shipping container part no, I have not. I just got so. lost in that area for an hour and a half. I don't know what it was. I could not... Re- There's something wrong with me. I could not read the map. I could not fathom how to get out of there. And I put the game it's, down for half a day. And I was just like, I guess, well, what is going on with me? It is... I think, again, the map... It, when you look at the full map, it is very impressive. But it is not very easily read yes I'm, i was kind of you know working backwards of okay here's where i need to be here's the zone that gets me into that point so now i need to try and work out how to get into that zone um but a lot of the time i'm sort of finding you know you're walking around and there might just be a a box off to the left that you could jump on to get up but it's so untelegraphed it's just sitting there it's you know plain textures it's they're, they're really not wanting you to just go oh here's where to go um and i guess yeah. I, that's sort of what i was looking for and that's probably why i'm waiting for pokemon but um you know i'm, I'm still enjoying myself i'm still jumping back into it um th- there's not a lot of story there's a bit there i, I do like story but I, I think there's enough there that i'm kind of intrigued um yeah it is weird it's weird it's a very it's i i love that like again smt tends to use the same sorts of ideas and concepts and themes over and over again but the stories themselves are very different and so again i can see how someone might be like oh this is just nocturne again but i don't i don't agree and you know by the time you really start to get exposure to the story you realize that that's not really the case yeah and i'll be honest i'm not quite clear on the story but uh there's a story um, I, I think I didn't realize until well far into it that, you know, the when you're sort of given the options for, you know, your selection of how you want to respond to something. Um, I, I honestly just thought that was his internal monologue. Um, but then as some of the decisions, but you know, more decisions came through, I'm like, oh, there's probably a bit more here because some of these decisions now are actually starting to be how will I react to a situation, which will obviously have gameplay implications. Um, but early on, it's more, oh, how do I think about a situation? So that's that's been yes. interesting as that's sort of expanded and grown. And some things have happened in the game, and I don't know if they're standard story beats. I don't know if that's just based on decisions I've made, um, which is kind of exciting. Um, yeah. It, you know, even if it turns out that's just a standard story beat, it feels like the decisions I've made have caused the situation. And, you know, if that's the illusion they've got, then that's it's working well. And, you know, I'm enjoying that component of the game. Yeah, yeah. It. I mean, I feel like... Uh, SMT on the whole does give you those opportunities to sort of mani- manipulate smaller events and then see how they see how they cause ripple effects. So I, I do think that you're probably right in assuming that that your choices have mattered. Yeah. Um, but I also 
Well, uh, and and even just the way that you respond to some of the demons sometimes, right? Like you can force your way into a building or you can try to help out the, the demons that are standing watch, yep. right? And then something happens as a result. So that 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 is neat stuff. And to go back to that point that, that I was talking about before, I get your impression of the narrative because I also did feel that four had a very ambiguous narrative in the same way that this seems to so far. Uh, and sometimes you just gotta go along for the ride, man. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know something uh, four certainly grabbed me a lot more and I'm maybe it's because it was my first Shin Megami, but it's almost like the, with how mechanical the gameplay is having it sort of, you know, in my pocket on the 3ds kind of just made it seem, Hey, this is great. You know, we don't have the, the massive story, the everything else, because this is just core gameplay happening right here in this little, little nifty device. Um, yeah. And yeah, and, and yeah, maybe just the transition ha- hasn't carried well with me, but I'm still enjoying myself. And to just, you know, finish up this, this talk again, mobile save would have been really nice. I can get why they don't want to do that. Uh, it's maybe a little soulsy and like yeah. using leyline fonts as uh, as bonfire, so to speak. But mobile saving in four was really really nice, being able to save wherever you wanted. Uh, you know, mobile demon fusion too was very very beneficial. Um, and so I do think that there are some steps that they have maybe taken or they they've sidestepped uh, certain features in some ways to make this feel different yeah and I, i'm at least still vibing with it so i can't really complain yeah no i agreed i I'll, I'll keep cracking on this week um keen to sort of see where it goes and i will just add i've only just now worked out that shin megami tensei 4 apocalypse is a sequel and not just a repackaging of shin megami tensei 4 <laughs> oh yeah well it's, I, I, it's... I i always kind of thought it was just a you know similar to like a pokemon yellow style um repackaging oh, no. yeah yeah i That's, i yeah that is and with i guess uh persona 5 royal the the difference well with the persona games in particular things are are usually different but um smt is known for having a another version that is released after the original that is the quote-unquote final um version of things that has some drastic changes so nocturne for example the version of nocturne that got uh the hd remaster is not the same as the base version okay it is actually it's based on this revised version and what i will say is apocalypse is like a full-on sequel yeah i i think i just thought it was like persona 5 um royal just sort of like you know a, a repackaging a couple of extra story beats and things like that but Oh, but my. what I will say is that Apocalypse does reuse about 95% of like the maps and okay. yep. locations of 4. So structurally, narratively, unfolds very differently. The places you go to and what order you, go, uh, you accomplish them in, very different. Probably the last, I would say, fifth of the game is entirely new content, but everything else is just reinterpreted and reimagined which yeah, okay. I think is really cool um, but yeah I mean I would I think Apocalypse is great um, I think there's a lot of things about Apocalypse that maybe connect 4 to 5 uh, in, in some ways but if you ever have the chance 
to go back to that. Uh, it's it's a hell of a good time. Some people have some mixed feelings on it. I say, screw them. Yeah, it's no, I, I I think I, I, I wouldn't mind. I, I do want to start dabbling into a couple of games that, you know, come up here. Unfortunately for myself, we're doing renovations. So it means the only console I have available is my Switch. Everything else is sitting packaged up in a box. Okay. So, but that's once fair. once that's all done, I, I will have the plethora of um, consoles and games back out again. So I know I'm looking forward to sort of starting to dabble into a few other things, especially things that you and Jeremy have spoken about. It'll be nice to, to just have a look at. Lovely. Uh, so was there a, another game that you wanted to talk about? Uh, there was, but I'm just going to spoil what Jeremy's written here in the show notes as he's not here. He's been playing a bit of Picross. I just wanted to give props to Picross. Picross is pretty great. Um, it's relaxing. If you ever want a relaxing puzzle game, get on some Picross. Um, that was all from Jeremy. <laughs> I've come to appreciate Sudoku yep. more, so maybe I can get into into Picross. Yeah, no, it's there's actually there's a Picross Sega Mega Drive Sega Master System version they just put out recently. So you're solving the little puzzles and getting little Sega sprites, which is quite nice. Um, in Jeremy's defense, it seems like he did have the challenge where he had to play an under 20 hour RPG. So for the listeners, he does have a note here that that's what he was doing all week. Um, so he will no yeah. doubt hear about that next week. Yeah, I guess that's... Yeah, that's we'll, we'll, okay. yeah we'll let him have that, you know. Um, but no, other than that, I, I do have one game I do want to talk about a bit, but just briefly, I've sort of been playing a bit of um, the, the GTA, um, you know, remasters that came out. I've never played oh, the GTA games before. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've heard it's not a very enjoyable experience. I've I'm not having an issue with it. I like I, I like I said I've not played the originals, so for me it's I'm still just driving around. I think a lot of the problems people are having are around how or how they messaged what they were making and what they ended up making not being that much better or really an improvement. Yeah. But for me, I've I've not played. You know, I played GTA One and Two on my PlayStation, but that's where I stopped. Um, I think I played a bit of uh, was it Chinatown on the 3DS. Or Chinatown Wars, but no, I've right, never played yeah. these. So I, I did jump in and I've just sort of put a couple of hours into GTA San Andreas, which I'm enjoying. I just started dabbling in Vice City this morning. More just, you know, I've got them there. I, just sort of something nice to get into once it fleshes out a bit and just explore. Um, other than that, I've my, um, my wife picked up her first RPG this week. So I thought I'd give a special props to her. She's been playing Epic Chef. Um, okay. So for the listeners, she will pretty much exclusively play rhythm and cooking games. And I'm talking, you know, 120 hours in Overcooked 2 solo. So, you know, there's something there. And when a, (laughs) yes, when a cooking game, uh, you know, this is sort of a Harvest Harvest Moon-esque story of seasons situation. It's called Epic Chef. You've got your little village, you know, you're building, you're farming, you're growing crops. Uh, But there's cooking tournaments in there you grow your ingredients to enter these cooking tournaments and prepare meals and impress the judges so that's that's sort of been interesting you know watching through that lens of someone who normally also sticks with platformers but games that are less exploratory or you know less having to work out what the heck you're doing uh, can because interesting to watch so there's been some some challenges there but she's put a, a good couple of hours into that, and that's been nice to watch. If you're looking for a Story of Seasons style game, um, something change of pace, you know, it's been 
obviously we've had the Animal Crossing DLC, but Story of Seasons, uh, Friends of Olive Town, I think it was last year. But if you're looking for something else, I think it was you know 30 Australian dollars, so like 20, 20 US dollars. Doesn't look too bad. There's a lot of fleshed out mechanics and systems there, which is quite nice. But, yeah, with, with any yeah. of these uh, slice of life sorts of RPGs, uh, there always comes a point where, you know, I guess I've been trained by my previous experience with RPGs, but uh, I really do feel that there is a point in these games where I'm like, I just, I want to, I want to go and fight monsters. Let me do that, please. Uh, and so that's usually where these games stop being fun for me. Which is why Rune Factory, which is almost uh, yep. like, uh, again, a little cross between these slice of life games, and also you have the monster fighting and dungeon exploring, is something that, that suits me more. Yeah, 100%. And I think my first exposure to that, and I thought I enjoyed it. Did you ever play, I always pronounce this wrong, Resetia, I think is the name, on, on Steam? Is it Reseteer? Reseteer, yes. Yeah, it's uh, it's a you, you're running a weapons store. Yes, but you, yeah. I, I, I sunk way too many hours into that and thoroughly enjoyed that. And you know, just m- manipulating the the price of swords by flooding the market with cheap steel, and then you know that was that was good. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I will. Wish, I yeah. wish. Sorry, go on. Oh, sorry. I, I was just going to say, I wish that Moonlighter got more into that element of like flooding the market with certain things, but instead the shopkeeping sort of mechanics in Moonlighter are a little bit more limited than what I would have liked. Yeah. But it, it does have a little bit of that energy. So sorry, please continue. No, that's good. I was just going to say with Epic Shift, the other thing I will flag is the writing. Uh, it's, it's a really well-written, it's funny. It, you know, sometimes with games when they're funny, they think they're funny, but they're not. This one just mm. genuinely seems like the writing staff just know what they're talking about. They're having a good time. They're, you know, they're, they're just enjoying it. So I think, you know, de- definitely worth having a having a nosy if you're if you're into that sort of thing. Um, but yes, yeah. it's, it's always a pleasure to play a game that does have good writing in it because then you you are much more aware of how bad the writing is in other games as well 100 percent, and you know to just sit there and, and just a little off the cuff comment that you know we've laughed out loud and quite frequently it's it doesn't happen that often especially yeah. in video game writing let's be honest that mm-hmm. they're not always that great i think you know a video game does a great epic but the comedians tend to steer clear of video game writing for whatever reason. Yep, for sure. But no, outside of that, um, my quest last week, I spoke about Mass Effect. I sat down after the after the podcast. I, I played a bit of Shin Megami, and then I loaded up the Switch store, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to get Knights of the Old Republic. So the, the game that Bioware made before Mass Effect... So I've I've put a couple of hours. My focus has been Shimagami, but I've I've been jumping into this a couple of hours here or there. So I'm still quite early in. I would have played this back when it originally came out. I want to say it was like 03 on the family Xbox. I know I have a cover a copy of it here sitting in a cupboard somewhere. But like I said, all my consoles are boxed up. It was just easier to buy it on the Switch for for 20 bucks and and start going at it there. But no, I'm I'm enjoying myself. It's it's an older game, but 
in contrast to the GTA, you know, in its similar time frame, it's not really a remaster. It's almost just like they've, I don't know, well, you know, in- increased the resolution, but everything just seems quite clear. And whether this was because of the art direction they they made back in 03, you know, it, it's quite clear. The graphics are blown up. They're bigger, but you're not, you know, there's not texture maps everywhere. So you don't have this sort of blurry mess and it still looks quite nice, which I was really surprised by the visuals there, just, just being clean. And I was having a chat, um, you know, in the Switch RPG Discord with someone and we both agreed, you know, just that that clean visual really does does look nice it's you know it's simpler graphics but it's been nice and and from a gameplay perspective it's it is a lot more obtuse than the likes of mass effect it's similar to smt5 but probably even worse you know you you're talking to someone and they're just like oh you need to go to this this place or this person who went in that direction will have your answers where that direction is you've got no clue uh you turn a wrong corner and all of a sudden you're being attacked by mutants and you're dead but you know, there, there, there's there's enough there that I'm enjoying myself so far, and I think I will. I'll I'll keep having a look at it. My uh, Evan, we spoke. My my Pokemon package is off in Whoop Whoop, so I probably won't be getting that this week. So I think I'll continue with Shimagami, and I'll continue with Knights of the Old Republic. Um, with with you know, just sort of seeing those those building blocks that became Mass Effect is is quite interesting in there. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, just to go back to your point, I think that strong art design and maybe even just a strong aesthetic always remains uh, more accessible and, and also just more approachable than cutting edge graphics, right? Because at, at some point, those cutting edge graphics will no longer be, be cutting edge. So if you have just a good solid art style that makes your game and makes its characters really stand out then you're gonna be fine yeah and i think it's even then you know the art style it's fairly plain but they've just you know crisp colors is you know things things can differentiate themselves and i I was a bit surprised because it was oh three around that time maybe just a little bit out after that you did have a lot of brown seeping in um, a lot of yeah. lens flare, a lot of brown, probably over the next four or five years, coming out of a lot of similar games to this. So, I yeah, was, I was a bit surprised. That was a, that was a dark time. That it was a, was a time it was a games. dark and dark and bright <laughs> time with the lens flare. But no, it, sure. it's it's holding up. It's quite enjoyable. The story there is is very quick to get going. Um, you know, parallels to Shin Megami. There's a lot going on. I'm meeting a lot of interesting characters, a lot of mini games, you know, being introduced so far. Mm-hmm. Um, a highlight for me, very early on in the game, I walked into a store where you could buy droids. Very excited. Yep, I get to buy a droid. You know, I've purchased the droid. I'm walking around in the shop. This little droid's following me around. This is a great game. I walk out the store and the droid blows up. The entire purpose of that introduction was so I could go back in and, and ask for my money back. Nothing else has happened out of that. But I decided to run around for five minutes because I was so excited about having a droid that they blew up on me. So uh, it seems yeah. that the writing's really strong and, you know, it's it's a beloved game, of course. it's It's got all these elements, we'd assume, given people really do love this game. Um, and I can see yeah. why it's 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 holding up. And I'm I'm looking forward to it. I really I I have 
my brother and I and, and our mutual friend, we grew up absolutely loving Star Wars. And when I say that our mutual friend was like an even bigger Star Wars fan than maybe both of us combined uh, is saying something. But he also always goes back to Knights of the Old Republic and says, this is the Star Wars game. This yep. is what you want to play because it 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 manages to pull off that that aesthetic that feel of of a of those movies in video game form and is well written atop that and that's that's just great so i now that i have uh a a switch that can play this i really do want to get into this and and give it a shot so uh here's hoping yeah, I and I, I think it does one of those things that I love. You you feel like a part of the universe, but you don't feel like you are the universe. You know, you're not the destined hero. You are yes. a pleb, but yep. a, a pleb who's got a background, you know, a pleb who has the ability to become something. And, and they do that really well here. And yeah, no. Yeah. It should be good. Yeah, and yeah definitely check it out if you've got the time. That is great stuff. Uh, so really, SMT has been what I have dedicated most of, if not all of my time. I did have here that I wanted to talk about uh, the new DLC for Kingdom Two Crowns, but I have not had time to really sink my teeth into that. But uh, are you aware of, have you ever heard of Kingdom Two Crowns, Nick? Uh, having read your show notes about an hour and a half ago, I was aware of Kingdom Two Crowns then. Okay. Uh, it is a, I guess you could call it a sim, um, a little bit of real-time strategy going on, but the really unique element of this game is that it is a 2D sim strategy game. Okay. So the kingdom that you build is uh, on a x-axis, essentially. Whenever you build out walls, you are kind of building them out further from your town center. So you have to determine where you're going to sort of allocate resources and push your borders out further because the the further you build out your kingdom the harder it's going to get the harder it's going to be to get to the other side of the kingdom to make sure that things are okay over there um but it is a it's a strategy game in that you are making sure you're doing the right things to stop your kingdom from being overrun by uh these little demons that come every night uh but the, the strategy for doing that is rather straightforward, and there are a couple of different sort of uh, traversal mechanics and, and neat little strategies that you can pick up yourself to, to make the game experience easier. But this game experience wouldn't be what it is if they told you how everything worked you really do have to discover everything your own uh, on your own because there there is no text in the game uh, so whenever you see a unit out in the field that you might want to recruit or what have you yep. you just have to see what happens uh with it when you do recruit it and then hope that you can use that effectively uh to to combat things so it's it's a neat um little game and this new 
DLC is adding like an entire new faction, which has some different characters that can do different things. So I'm just looking forward to giving that a shot. They've also increased the enemy variety too, which is a very appealing part because sometimes the the combat skirmishes can feel a little bit samey. Is it almost um, tower defensey? In that you're, I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm watching a few videos and just going on what you're seeing, just trying to, it's, it's piqued my interest. It, you could say it is tower defensey, although once you have strong enough walls uh, at the edges of your kingdom, it really just becomes a matter of making sure that that wall, that specific wall is fortified. Now, there are times when that wall might fall and you need to make sure that you have a good wall behind that wall yeah, okay. that will be uh, easily defensible but there are towers that you can create you know archery towers that you can uh, equip an outfit there are um, catapults that you can use to kind of uh, you know really take out a whole bunch of enemies um, and the the thing is all of those uh, sorts of devices require manpower right it requires yeah. manpower to set up a catapult it requires archers to to uh, to be in an archery tower and where the game gets nuanced is you have essentially two sorts of worker units you have uh, hunters who will go out into the field and kill animals which nets you resources and then you also have masons who will build things for you and so in these specific examples right hmm. you need two masons to operate a catapult so by allocating those masons to that catapult you need to make sure that you have extra masons elsewhere so you can continue building and when you create an archery tower, you're technically taking hunters away from your hunting team so that they can defend uh, your kingdom. So there's kind of always a balancing act of make sure that you can still gather resources, make sure that you can, can, you can still expand, and also make sure that you can defend yourself. Uh, so it, it, there's really nothing else like it. Um, and I guess you could say that it is similar in some ways to a tower defense uh, game, except the tower in Kingdom is your king, your monarch yep. that you are playing as. If the enemies get to that, then your game is over. Um, and there are even techniques that you can use to, uh, as a monarch, you can kind of, one of the balancing aspects, right, is that you have to kind of explore the wilderness in order to find some resources that you might need to use. So your units won't go out and explore the wilderness. You as a monarch have to do that yourself. So the further you get from your castle walls, the more you're putting yourself at risk. But you can also develop these strategies where you can kind of delay attacks from getting to your castle, but at the increased risk of maybe losing your crown and ending your kingdom. Um, and so really what I would say is it's more like a roguelite. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, it's, uh, I, I, I'm surprised. I've never never even heard of it. Looking at it, it came out a few years ago. It, it's, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of captivated here. <laughs> so, it's, and I, and I, I love the art style. It's yeah. a very pretty game. It's very serene. And the really neat thing about it is every single thing you do in the game feels incremental. And so 
a lot of it feels like just running around and making sure tasks get done. But the entire time you're playing, it's a very passive experience, but it feels very stressful and engaging, which is a really f- like f- bizarre sort of dichotomy, but it works so well with this game. I really, I love Kingdom so much, and I, I played the original version, which was New Lands, which... I recommend as an entry point because it teaches you a lot about just how to play the game. But Two Crowns has co-op, which is an added bonus, and you can play online co-op with people or right in your your room. And it also has just some nice uh, quality of life features that make it more easy and more accessible. No, that's good. I I shall definitely pop it on the wish list. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, there's nothing else like it. It's it's a it's a really neat game. But. I would love to talk more about it when I actually get into the DLC. <laughs> I say you talked quite a bit there with uh, having not touched the DLC this week, but no, that's I, no, I look forward to that. In, indeed, but uh, I, I guess we'll move on to our quests now. Uh, and unfortunately, again, you know, Jeremy's not going to be with us. He had a nice quest uh, all put together. You'll hear about that next week. But we have some quests we need to tackle. Nick, do you want to go first? Sure. So my quest was an RPG with better aesthetics than gameplay, be it music, art, maybe story. And I'll, I'll be honest, Evan, I really struggled. I I don't think I came to a conclusion as to what I want to talk about until about, well, yesterday, Friday, um, being Saturday here for myself. Well, we um, like a challenge here at the RPG pod quest, but what well, about this... Yeah, was, and uh, for me, I think the challenge really was about, it's probably down to the, the term, you know, what is gameplay? <laughs> um, I, I racked my okay. brain with it. And for me, I guess I, I ended up going with the thought pattern that gameplay being the the core action, you know, the, the, the core gameplay loop, maybe, or the combat. So not necessarily the overall gameplay, but for me in this choice, uh, space, I chose the the combat itself, which is a large part of this game. Um, and and with regards to the aesthetic, for me, it was everything. Um, I think better either the music, the art, the story, and the game I have chosen is Fantasy Star Online episodes one and two for the GameCube. Also mainly because Happy Birthday GameCube. Um, uh, my, yeah, my favorite. Well, Happy Birthday in America. We don't get it for it. We don't get the twentieth birthday for another six months here in Australia. So, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, happy birthday, GameCube. Happy my birthday. first console, my first home console. Uh, excellent. It was probably the the first console I bought with my own money. Um, really? So yeah, it, it holds a special place, and I now currently own about ten GameCubes. So in, oh, wow. in, including a Panasonic Q. So I've, I've started collecting them in the last few years. That's impressive. Um, um, so I, what I will say is I've never played this game in particular. Although I will say I consider myself to be a Fantasy Star fan, but that's because yeah. I like the older games. I have also played Fantasy Star Zero, which was a DS game and is very weird. Yeah, so I'd, I'd never played a Fantasy Star game before this. So I I had a Mega Drive. I never played RPGs. And, you know, of course, if I had, the only thing I would have had to play really was... Uh, fantasy stars one through four um but no, I've, I've since gone back and i've played a little bit of of three and four and have enjoyed myself but they're, they're so different there's it's, oh, yeah. it's essentially yes. it's a different game there's this i don't even know why they used 
Um, well, I, the the online moniker is is just a well, yes. Uh, grouping these two together under Fantasy Star, I think, is is disingenuous, right? But the the online branch of this series is is its own thing in so many ways. Yeah, and I mean, for me, I had a GameCube. I didn't play this game online. Um, right. But no, my my first exposure to Fantasy Star online was my first exposure to a Dreamcast. Um, went to a family friend's house. They had a Dreamcast. They had Fantasy Star Online 1 um, playing online. And it was just, you know, quite magical. Uh, I was quite young at the time, about 10, 11. Um, but I just remember, you know, it was, it was again, it was nice, colorful. It was sci-fi, things I enjoy. So when it came out for the GameCube, I, I grabbed that nice and early in the GameCube's life. And Really, I don't know how far I got growing up because I've gone back and played it recently and I really remember the first couple of worlds and I'm, you know, all the detail of the first few worlds are synced into my head. But once I got past the first few worlds, I didn't remember a lot. Um, But, you know, as a kid, that tends to be what you do. You die, you loop back, you have fun. Um, (laughs) But no, it's probably a similar, similar response to what I spoke about last week with Mass Effect. You know, I, it's the, the space aesthetic probably really gels with me the in this case you've got um you know societies out in space looking to set up i'm going to butcher the story it's been a long time since i played going to looking to set up um you know colonies on new worlds and in in the case here you know something's going on you're losing contact with teams that have been previously sent down so you've got to go you investigate but and and it's it's great fun, you know. You've got your your role type similar to an MMO, even if you're just playing solo. You've got sci-fi weapons, you've got mages, you've got you know all all the types of fantasy elements. And I may be an idiot. It's now just twigged with me why it's called fantasy with a ph because it's fantasy as in Lord of the Rings fantasy. I'm just going <laughs> to go see myself out now. Uh, so, <laughs> that never clicked. I think until I said the word mages. Um, but, you know, they're, they're robot mages, so it's different. But, you know, and, and that component of the game, it's, and it's, again, it's similar to Mass Effect. And heck, I'm probably going to keep coming back to sci-fi every now and again because I just enjoy that space, colorful space aesthetic. And as I said last week, everything these days is post-apocalyptic space aesthetic, which I really just, I don't enjoy. It's, well, you know, as as I get older and we seemingly steep towards the inevitable it seems to cut close to home whereas a nice bright space aesthetic with you know future possibilities and excitement and in this case you know uh, strange creatures strange worlds to explore strange cultures to talk to and again same thing i spoke about with mass effect last last time it's it's really what i enjoy in games and for me that's what makes the the world building here great and you know the sound effects some of them are really annoying in this game and you will drill into your head the weird little sound effect whenever you open the menu, but it's nice. The gameplay, however, is pretty rubbish. Um, <laughs> you, you know, you, especially early on when you're starting off and say using a character, using a, a rifle, you've effectively got your rifle shot, which is, you know, hit A and shoot a rifle and then wait and then hit it again. It's just a delayed shooting action. It's, yeah. you know... Then strafe, walk back from the enemy, make sure to get two more shots off until they get to you. Do the same thing. Um, it's The combat's not great. And <laughs> I, I do need to jump back into Fantasy Star Online 2. 
I jumped onto it when, and I'm going to just quickly check a few things here to validate. There was, you know, Fantasy Star Online 2 came out, I want to say a year and a half ago in English, mm-hmm. um, having originally released in 2012 in Japan. So they, yeah. they released last year. I jumped on, I, I enjoyed myself for a couple of hours, but, uh, you know, almost similar to Fantasy Life, it's a game that had been living for years and years and years behind the scenes. And now they've dumped it with a Western audience, but they hadn't scaled back what was available to the end user. You know, they've just gone, here's everything, have fun catching up on eight years. Um, poss- yeah. Possibly story beats and things. Sorry, go on, yeah. No, I was, just, I was just going to equate this to the fan outrage that Dragon Quest X, the MMO, uh, you know, uh, installment of... Dragon Quest has never been localized for yep. English audiences. And that game, first off, came out originally when the Wii, uh, or on the Wii, I guess I should say. And it has had many different versions playable on, on different systems and many different expansions. Yeah. And I think Square Enix probably feels very similarly. Like, why should we bring this over to the, the States if it's going to be a hassle for us to translate and there's going to be so much stuff that yeah. isn't user friendly about it um but i i think that's also why we are getting that weird weird like chibi dragon quest 10 style uh game uh that they announced in their last like big anniversary yeah. stream which is is not going to be online but is going to tell the story of that game i think they just kind of want to make something that is accessible for people uh without the online elements necessarily but i can i can definitely understand why uh that would be something that would be daunting to to get started with yeah and i mean what really boggled my mind and i'm kind of just really talking about the whole series in general but like i said i haven't had a lot of exposure to it recently mm-hmm. once that uh fantasy star online 2 came out six months later they announced they were just redoing the whole thing with fantasy on <laughs> star online 2 new genesis so, you know, I got on, on on the day it came out, I played it, again, like I said, convoluted, the, the UI, there was way too much going on, quest structures just confusing so much, but still just loved walking around in that game. So I haven't jumped back onto Fantasy Star Online 2 New Genesis since it came out, I think it was June some point this year, but, but I've heard good things, you know, I hear that they have tidied it up, they have, you know, reinvented, similar to a Final Fantasy 14, not to that scale but gone back repackaged hey here's a new game let's start here i really can't understand why they released it a year before in the state they did when they were just going to do this unless they released it and went shit this is awful we need to do something very quickly well i think that probably uh the new genesis version was in development at the time and you know, a part of me can definitely appreciate when a when a publisher decides to bring something over and it, going back to um, the idea of releasing Nocturne and then releasing SMT5, yep. right? You get that taste of what this series is all about and then you get the quality of life updates, the aesthetic updates with the new version of it that really bring it into the modern era. And hey, they can get more sales that way too, right? Yeah, well, so, looking at it now, I can I can still download Fantasy Star Online too, or I can download New Genesis. So why the heck would I bother? 
yeah i i I guess that that is a a good question to raise but um i don't know they they were probably working on new genesis just because yeah maybe it was a hey we're working on this here maybe the the western branch has decided to to do something but either way i am currently downloading new genesis so (laughs) (laughs) that that is the major takeaway yes that is the major takeaway we've gotten there but yeah you know to my quest and and that's realistically it and i will try better next week to not just go with what i now have my own personal trope of sci-fi and culture's good uh you know information good so i i will certainly you know i'm looking forward to another challenge but again fantasy star and I did so. I did start playing it again. I want to say two, three years ago, in the lead up to Fantasy Star Online two, I hooked up the GameCube and jumped back on to Fantasy Star episodes one and two, and and it holds up. The gameplay again, not great, but the worlds, the music, the the story, the aesthetic, it's all there. I I have tracked down a copy of Fantasy Star Online episode three, the card based ver- card based game that came out. I, I haven't looked into that yet myself, but I've got it here. I, I do want to dabble in that at some point because I remember when it came out, just being, what what on earth is this? And I will also throw out, I do have one of the ASCII keyboard controllers for the GameCube. So if I'm going to play it, I'll be doing it correctly. That is impressive. The, a man a man of fine taste. Exactly. Nice. That that was my, essentially that one of the white whales. I, I remember going to Japan in high school in 2004 so you know the gamecube was out and a couple of things seeing that keyboard seeing the donkey konga bongos (laughs) um but you know just seeing a couple of those things out there in the wild in japan as a as a 15 16 year old and going wow like you know we we don't see this down here at you know our target where we buy video games or eb games and this is this is this is cool stuff so you know now as a as a grown-up with disposable income I, of course, spend it on things that would have made childhood Nick happy. (laughs) I get that, definitely. Um, Okay, very cool uh, pick, at least. I I know you might feel like it's in line with, you know, some of the other things that you've talked about, but I I think that it is, uh, it's great that you've taken another uh, sort of game and another sort of series and, and applied it or identified the, these elements present in there. Well, and I think that that's been interesting for me because I've, you know, I've never really had a platform like this to sort of talk about other than with friends, you know, what are the games I enjoy? What are the components of games? And I think, you know, it's becoming clear to myself, um, you know, having to, to stipulate and talk to, to yourself and the listeners and Jeremy, um, which has been quite interesting and fascinating working out. So it, it helps me work out what to play in the future. <laughs> Which is good. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it gives me uh, some ideas too. You know, again, if you are looking for that that uh, classic sort of fantasy tropes, but with the sci-fi veneer, so mm. to speak, again, Cosmic Star Heroine, great example of something like that. Um, there's some other games too that I would, I would maybe recommend. But, um, you know, as we get towards the end of the year and we start talking about our uh favorite games of the year i think i'll dip into those a little bit more because there's a couple of games that i played this year that i think might might suit your fancy a great deal uh so you'll have to keep your ears peeled for that Uh, i guess that means it's time to talk about the sort of opposite of your quest I I, uh, I I do regret not merging our quests last week. I think that would have been quite amusing, but you know. <laughs> yeah, well, 
you know, aesthetics can be a, a whole lot of things. And again, you could have focused on just the music or just the art or just the narrative uh, in relation to the gameplay. But for me specifically, I need to talk about story. And I know that there are people out there who played this game first as their sort of entry point into a series and therefore love it for that reason. I know that there are people who just like this game a whole lot uh, that I'm going to be talking about. But my quest, of course, is an RPG with a bad story, but great gameplay. My pick for this is Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And again, you are talking to someone who has logged over 400 hours into this game. How? So I feel like... (laughs) (laughs) There's there's not that much game in there. (laughs) Oh, I disagree, my friend. (laughs) Uh, there is quite a bit of game in there. No, but I, I will say too that I started playing this game when it first released. And so I got to see the quality of life developments yep. uh, occur uh, as this as this game lived for longer, um, as, its, as its life went on. And so, you know, early on, you couldn't skip summoning sequences uh, in... It, when you were you know summoning cores in this game so you always had to watch these cutscenes over and over and i would say probably around 20 to 25 hours of my save file is just watching those animations over and over yep. which is sad but uh that still doesn't account for the other 300 something <laughs> hours that i have in on this and really what it what it comes back to is i love i think that xenoblade 2's combat is so well defined to me that it feels like that is the the one part of this game that they knew exactly what they wanted to do going into actually making it yeah and everything else kind of feels like an afterthought um you know, some people might argue that the the sort of field skills that you need to utilize aren't as fun, but that sort of factored into grinding for cores and getting the right field skills to use for me personally. So I found that to be enjoyable. And of course, you know, classic Monolith Soft exploration is fun. You know, seeing these giant uh, biomes and running around them and finding landmarks is just always something that is very inherently uh, amusing to me. Yeah. So all of those elements I think are great. And again, I'll say I think the combat is is the best version that Monolith has ever had, and it builds off of previous games excellently. And even the Torna DLC, which I do believe is part of my save file. Um, in Xenoblade, so there's probably around 40 hours dedicated to the Torna DLC uh, in there too of my playtime. But that version of Xenoblade 2's combat is even better than the base game. Yes, yeah, I, I never went back to. I mean, this is something Jeremy and I have spoken about. You know, we both of us don't really go back to games. Um, I yeah, thoroughly enjoyed um, Xenoblade 2. I I would have played it when it came out so i probably never experienced a lot of the quality of life improvements certainly didn't play the dlc um but no yeah it's i think something you touched on there just the scale and you know you touched on it with shimagami 5 but i still think it it pales in comparison to 
the Xenoblade series and just, you know, the <laughs> scale of seeing a giant Brontosaurus style creature just moping through a an open field um, is something that still takes me back every time it happens. Sure, yeah, you, you definitely don't get the the scale of monsters uh, in the same way with a, a SMT as you do with with Xenoblade, and that that is always something that is very exciting, right? But uh, yeah, uh, I, what I will say is, you know, Torna is almost in itself a a nice little rpg experience yeah um it is compressed and it tells a story and it, it does a pretty good job of telling that story too it fills in some of the blanks um or the 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 gray areas that existed in xenoblade 2's base narrative so really when i say that if you want to play like even better combat than xenoblade 2 it's it's well worth uh picking up and, and looking into but the one element of this game that I do think is weak is its narrative. And, you know, maybe I have a little bit of bias just having played the original Xenoblade first, but this game goes way harder on its Japanese-ness, yeah. if that makes sense. I mean, there are moments in this game where, you know, well, there are serious moments in this game, and then you are fighting a giant made mech with a giant head uh, to an absolutely absurd, like musical sting going on in the background. And it's just like, what is the tone of this game? It's all over the place. And not only that, but I have problems with many of the characters. I think that a lot of people like these characters and, and, enjoy this game because of the great character designs that exist in it and i love a lot of those character designs too but there's really only like one maybe two characters in this game that i actually like and to go back to one final element that really hurts this game to me is i don't think that the writers have thought about the blade system in this game well enough <laughs> um they they there's a lot of unique ideas that are being presented here yep um you know these Im immortal creatures that l lose their memories but are always the same but also kind of aren't like there's a lot of of gray area there too where like oh is a blade inherently good or inherently bad some examples that you find uh support that idea some don't and so what's really going on with these creatures the laws of this universe aren't really well defined and it comes back to even like the protagonist and his blade and the antagonist who is a blade why are there situations the the blades that the that the that these characters you know represent why are there situations so different like what is stopping the antagonist blade i mean i could spoil this stuff for you but the game's been out for a while but i i, th I think you i think you're clear i think you're allowed to at this point i i mean why is Malos, or what makes Pyra and Mithra unique in comparison with Malos? Because if they're both, uh, you know, these legendary blades in the same vein as another legendary blade that is, you know, unveiled later, why can Malos not do the same things that 
Mithra slash Pyra can do. Why? What is this whole split personality thing? Why does this exist? They try to justify it, but it never is clear cut enough. And it, it hurts the development of that character because it just, it, it sort of, it takes away from the nuance and just makes it a, a very stereotypical, uh, like tropey anime sort of character. And that's how I feel with a lot of these characters in this game, save for Nia, who I think is just a really well fleshed out character um in in a lot of respects well, as so, we all know she can be stronger much much stronger personal joke in the family so my when i was playing xenoblade 2 um you know i would just be playing it there on the tv handheld but that line always stood out and then i just have my wife calling out from the other room much much stronger um yeah well i, I, well, I, I like it's interesting you spoke about sort of the, the japanese i for me thoroughly enjoy the xenoblade series for the voice acting and i know that's a sensitive topic for a lot of people but it's one of the very few games that does not use american voice acting so to actually have the representation and the different cultures based around different you know you've got the welsh accents you've got the the various different british accents scottish accents australian accents actually representing the different cultures and cities in the game was quite fascinating um because that does not happen in video games a lot to hear here to hear our own accents um just does not happen so it was actually quite a surprise and quite nice to hear that especially on a a game of this scale you know i i totally get that and i love how that is a (laughs) that is something emblematic of this series that actually happened on accident right (laughs) because if this game had been localized First, for North America, they would have gone with those voices. Yep. And if it had gotten popular, we probably would have kept, you know, using North American lo- localization. But because it was localized by Nintendo of Europe first, and it was easy to just transfer those voices over to the American release, that has become an element that is just inherent in the in these games. But I also think that that's an aesthetic uh, element of, of the Xenoblade games. And I do think that there are story beats and and something that I really like about Xenoblade games is that they are very character driven in a way that is different from, I think, yeah. some other RPGs. But the characters in Xenoblade 2 are hard for me to get behind. And again, I, I will say, you know, this might just be bias coming coming in here. Just because I don't find a character relatable doesn't mean they're a poorly written character. But I also think that another one of the antagonists in this game, aka Jin, is a very poorly written character in in some ways that I think are unforgivable. <laughs> um, which I, I think is is the the sort of culmination to this character's arc is not satisfying in any way because the the sort of heel face turn that he experiences and the i guess the things that i think he should have already known better by like that are revealed about his his background just make it a very dissatisfying 
sort of conclusion to an, an antagonist. And um, he's tragic, sure. And yes, I also understand for all the ladies out there, and the men too, who might be attracted to him, that he is an attractive character. Tetsuya Nomura tends to make attractive characters. But I don't think that justifies the bad choices that exist in uh, his in his narrative. And so we could maybe break down like specific character moments, but I'm just going to say that if anybody does want to have that conversation with me, I'd be more than willing to do so. But this is what comes to mind for me when I think of a game that I absolutely love. This, the, the gameplay is so engaging to me and I could really, I could not care less about watching the cutscenes to this game because they frustrate me that much. Well, that's fascinating. And I guess to back up your theory, if we uh, Google Xenoblade 2 characters, lovely lout, everyone's got a nice little art, you know, picture of the character. Jin's just a screenshot from the game. So I think Google <laughs> thinks the same thing as you. But no, I, you know, I agree. And heck, until you'd mentioned his name, I couldn't even remember Jin. You know, characters such as, as Nia, you know, obviously Rex, Pyra, um, Morag even, th- ones like that have stuck with me. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed them, but I think, yeah, some of the, the more, maybe that's, you know, the brooding elements they don't get down too well. Yeah. Well, the thing that's frustrating too, is that the DLC, the Torna, mm. uh, story, which fills in a lot of his character, um, in, in a sort of prequel sense, I think does an even worse job of doing the character justice because, He's always talked about as being this character who doesn't like to fight, but you're playing a game where you literally have to fight with him all the time. And some of the things that he says when you're in combat are like sound bloodthirsty and, and irredeemable. And I'm like, what's going on here? What is the tonal inconsistent? It's bizarre. It is so strange. And I, I just don't, I don't get it personally, but that's neither here nor there. Xenoblade <laughs> yeah. 2, not my favorite narrative. But I guess that does mean we need to move on to our next quests. So uh, I guess we, we, we are going to be doing our next uh, live roll. Uh, do you have the quest board pulled up? I certainly do. The struggle is finding my dice. I've got my dice. We're all good. So Jeremy's not here to muck up our rolls. Oh, he's, already, he's already in front of us, so I think we can, he can take the handicap. Yeah, but he also can't, you know, screw with us with his stupid summoner ability. Do we but, just make uh, him do the same quest again? You know, does he have to play another 20-hour game? I mean, I think it's only fair. No, he'll probably just talk about this next week, and we will laugh because we will be ahead of him. In some <laughs> Unless you roll a, a, a two or a one. <laughs> we shall see, sir. <laughs> but uh, I believe you rolled first, right, last week? Correct, yep. Okay, well, I guess then I can roll first uh, really quickly. And again, I'm a thief, so after Nick rolls and sees what his quest is, I can technically steal his quest from him if I should find that to be appealing. So I rolled a four, uh, which does technically bring me up to this first enemy encounter, which I think I'm going to skip over. So so, so walk me through that scenario again, because obviously it's going to happen to me. I'm on nine, so you can move past the enemy encounter but need to enact the enemy encounter before you reach the next one is that correct not quite oh. <laughs> all right so well, if you, lucky if you, i asked 
Yeah, so you have to complete an enemy encounter on this board before fighting a boss battle. Okay. Now, some of our jobs require that you complete an enemy encounter to refresh your ability, right? So Jeremy, for example, could not use his uh, his summoner ability again until performing or completing another enemy encounter, which he would have done today, which would mean that he would have refreshed his ability. But that's not the case for every job, which is why we should really post that job board up there. Um, and but I, I, I sense you were a bit distracted all week with uh, with Shin Megami Tensei Five, so... I was. It was also a busy week in a lot of ways, too. So there's a lot of excuses. But essentially, if you get up to an enemy encounter that you don't want to engage, you can move past it by counting it as a part of your role, right? So I will land on 11 because I'm not doing the enemy encounter. But understand that if you skip the first, second, and third enemy encounter you will have to do the fourth one before you fight the boss battle. Yes, of course. All right, that makes sense. But if you wanted to be a madman, you could do every enemy encounter as we go along the journey. You could. Excellent. The the benefit of that is uh, not only getting to play more games for quests, (laughs) but also to refresh your job ability. Yeah. Right? So... I have landed on an RPG with a weird character customization system, which I'm really excited about. This gives me the chance to talk about some of my absolute favorite games, because I love character customization systems. Nick, why don't you go ahead and roll? All right, let's... uh... I rolled a four. Which one does that give me? One, two, three, four. A bad sequel to an RPG. Hmm, Okay. So technically, we're still the same distance apart from one another. Uh, and what I'm going to say is I... Well, I, I might... I'm trying to think of my schedule ahead. It might be a, an opportune time to to play an under 20-hour RPG. But no, I think if... we, with Shin Megami and Pokemon, I think I'll be challenged to, to hit that. So I think I will just go on to a, a bad sequel to an RPG. Yeah. And you're not going to synthesize our quests in any capacity. Uh, well, that that depends. It's you you to enact your quest first, Evan. <laughs> uh, my my job ability. Yes, I am yes. Not, I am not switching with you, sir. I would rather talk about customization systems than a bad sequel to an RPG. Because let's be honest, I just talked about what I consider to be a bad sequel to an RPG. But what if you were to talk about a bad sequel to an RPG with a weird character customization system? I would rather not. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say this, to you. This is where we need live listeners so I can just throw to them and not feel as guilty. Uh, yeah, if we had if we had a uh, live chat going where people could vote on this, I would maybe tear my hair out. But uh, <laughs> I, I think I'll, I'll play it safe and keep things. I'm going to keep you on my good side for now. I don't want to enact the uh, the thief's vengeance. In the coming sure. weeks, so I think I will I will stick with what we've got. A wise choice, a wise choice. But uh, and yeah, you know, it, do- it doesn't seem right to not let uh, Jeremy also try to screw us over with his. It, exactly. So we'll play it safe this week, so we can all attack each other next week. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, with that being said, Nick, do you want to uh, do you want to go into our plugs for us? Certainly will. So um, obviously, thanks everyone for joining us today, and uh, if you wish to 
hear more or, or, you know, speak to any of us, you can find us at RPG PodQuest on Twitter. Obviously find this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, and a, and a myriad of other sites. You know, if you've enjoyed what you're hearing, certainly, you know, share with your friends, let them, let them listen in. And if you want to find any of us personally on, on Twitter, you'll find Evan at RPG Seb, which is, I believe, RPGs EB, if I'm correct. That is correct, uh, yes. Good work, Sebastian. Um, we'll find Jeremy at, at RPG underscore writer. And you can find me and my two followers at RPG Nick with two eyes. And my two followers, I'm pretty sure, are the podcast and Jeremy, not even Evan. So, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if I can increase right my, my follow count by 50% this week. Um, you, but, you, you'll, you'll see if you can get it increased in the next 15 minutes. Excellent. We'll <laughs> no, well, thank you very much. No, we'll have Jeremy back next week. So thank you, everyone, for listening in. And, and we've still managed to do the hour and a half, Evan. So I think we've done great. Yeah, we, we, we put together a good show, right? Um, but for now, we are going to move on to our next quests. So we will see you next time.